Welcome to the Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast. And today I have a very special guest. Uh, I have Matthew Shemansky. He is a academic, an academic track instructor over at the Temple of the Silver Star. And uh, rather than me introducing uh, him, I think it would be better that he introduces himself to the audience. I was actually just watching um, your YouTube video, one of your videos on YouTube, with the uh, Astrological Magical uh, Magic Series, part three. And so, uh, yeah, welcome to the show. And can you introduce yourself and how you got interested in esotericism in general? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. And, and thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, my, my name's uh, Matthew Shemansky. I'm a, uh, an academic track instructor in, in the Temple of the Silver Star, and it's in, you know, in that capacity that I've been teaching the uh, you know the astrological magic uh, uh, class that you were just talking about, which is still ongoing now. Uh, we, we're only not not even quite halfway through. But yeah, so I'm, I'm an academic track instructor in the, the Temple of the Silver Star. I'm actually also the, the provost uh, of the Temple of the Silver Star's academic track. Uh, and then also within the, the, initiatory, uh, the initiatory track, uh, the, the kind of inner order uh, of the Temple of the Silver Star, uh, I serve as, as one of the chiefs of the temple. I live in, in Sacramento, California, and I serve as, as one of the three chiefs uh, of the temple uh, based here in, in Sacramento. Uh, and I'm also an, an ordained priest uh, through the, the Temple of the Silver Star. Um, and so what was it, uh, how I got, how I got interested in esotericism? That's what you wanted to, to hear uh, Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you know, you're an ordained priest and you're the, uh, you know, lead track instructor of the Temple of the Silver Star. So kind of curious to backtrack, like, how did you all, you know, how did you start, uh, you know, your initial journey, mm-hmm. initial phase? Yeah. yeah, sure. And, you know, it's interesting. That's, that story of, of how I got, I got interested in, in how I, I came to the study of esotericism is actually one that I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about myself and, and, and trying to unpack. Uh, and, and over the years, I, I feel like I've, I've told the story in, in, in different ways um, as I've actually grown. I, I think a lot about the idea of, of uh, thing, almost like retroactive causation and things like that, that in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, the, the things that happen early on don't really make sense until you see where they're going. So in a weird way, it's not that like something happened, you know, to me when I was younger and then that like led to this. It's almost like my life retrospectively only makes sense from from the point of view of, of what I'm doing now. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'll try to give you a little uh, kind of overview. Um, but there's so many different like facets and, and threads to it. It's as if there were all these things that seem to be separate and unconnected, uh, but then at a certain point, uh, con- you know, congealed uh, and, and came together in this this you know esoteric practice and and, and study, uh, you know, in, in my service in the order and everything. And in a way that that, that happened like before I was I was even consciously aware of it, uh, which you know is a powerful thing. Realizing that there are things that are are so much bigger than your than your conscious choices. Mm-hmm. So. You know, in, in some ways, I, I think it had always been there uh, since childhood, uh, you know, the, the interest in, you know, what we could bro- very broadly call uh, esoteric things, uh, you know, interest mm-hmm. in, in, in secret things, uh, or a sense that there's, there's something else going on behind the scenes. I was raised in basically a, a non-religious uh, uh, background. My, my, father's, my father's an atheist. Uh, mm-hmm. My mother has you know, vague spirituality, um, or, or did when I was younger. It became a little clearer when she was older, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Are, are you, um, sorry to cut you off, are you originally no, from uh, Sacramento too? No, um, I, I grew up in Massachusetts actually, in, in Eastern Massachusetts. Okay, okay. Which I'm is curious. maybe actually, 
Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's actually a little bit of a, a part of the story. I mean, Massachusetts is kind of a weird, you know, New England is, is kind of a weird haunted place. Um, so the <laughs> idea of, of, you know, like ghosts and, and spirits and things like that, I, I think is is not that uncommon for that place. And certainly there's a mm. lot of, of old places and a lot of, you know, kind of dark and, and ugly history that that's really like embedded in, in old cities and things like that out there. Mm-hmm. Um or you know, at least old by American st- American standards, right? Right. Uh, so I, right. Yeah, and I and I think you know, I mean, there's a lot of you know, like you know, kind of ghost folk tales and, and things like that uh, from that region. And you hear all kinds of stories about people having strange experiences in the in the New England woods and things like that. So a little bit mm. of that stuff was kind of kind of in the atmosphere. Uh, you know, a lot of ghost stories are set in New England, right? Uh, so mm. I, I think that was was definitely an influence. Um, and yeah, I, very interesting. It's uh, the reason I asked too is because I'm mm. originally from uh, Sacramento, so it's kind of an interesting uh, coincidence here, you know. Oh right, yeah, you left and then, and then I came in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> um, mm. uh, yeah, so uh, I think in some ways there was always that sense that there was something there was something more to the world and something deeper than you know, what I was told in school or, 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 you know, what you saw through the, you know, through the media or even what my, my parents could explain that there was, I was always kind of looking for something else and looking for something, uh, you know, beneath the surface. Um, and, you know, part of it also was a, for, for whatever reason, uh, as a, as a child, you know, maybe like six years old, uh, I, I developed a very intense, uh, awareness of death. So I think mm-hmm. that, a, a, an awareness of death and a, and a focus on mortality and, and not understanding what, or, or needing to understand what life could be in the face of eventual death, I think mm-hmm. was, was one of the real like motivating things. And I, you know, I didn't have anything in my environment uh, that, that, that adequately explained that or gave me any kind of, um, uh, yeah, yeah that, that gave me any kind of satisfying answer. So I, I think in a lot of ways, a lot of the seeds were planted there of this sense mm-hmm. that I had to figure out like what was going on, you know, why, why, why anything existed at all, what was happening. Uh, yeah. And so I, I, uh-huh. that was really the beginning in a way was that, that search for, for an understanding of, of like, <laughs> what the hell is all of this? Like what, what's going on here, you know? Sure, sure. Well, it wasn't necessarily like a near-death experience or the death of, death of a family member, but just the awareness of death in general, would you say? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, actually, it's funny, my, um, my mother ended up buying me all these, uh, like children's books, right, because nothing actually happened that, that triggered it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've come to think now that there's some, uh, you know, like past life, uh, uh, kind of things happening that, that some of that stuff are things that I, I like brought in, into the world with me, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but my mother actually ended up buying me all these books that are designed for like kids who had lost uh, a fam- a close family member or something like that, you know, that explains like death to children. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I actually bought all these books that you know designed for kids uh, who had lost a family member, despite not actually having had that loss, but but needing you know something to to deal with that that awareness of mortality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, very interesting. Um, okay, so it's uh, it's the confrontation with death, right? They they uh, that's kind of like where Buddhism, like Buddha, Buddha kind of talked about his great awakening was like encountering you know uh, death outside of the palace that he lived. Mm-hmm. Once he kind of saw that, that that sort of changed his whole paradigm like wait a minute i need to figure this out what's going on here right <laughs> yeah sure i mean i mean nothing uh, throws the, those existential questions into into relief like like awareness of, of mortality yeah mm-hmm. um and both you know the sense that it's something it's something threatening and something that that uh you know like yeah it is, is a threat to the ego but at the same time also it, it, it in a lot of ways gives shape to human life right i mean human life mm-hmm. wouldn't 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 be what it is if death wasn't there uh Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that was a lot of the seeds. Um, yeah, let's see. 
So I also, you know, kind of running somewhat parallel to that too, I always had an interest in, and again, getting back to that, that sense that there was like something more going on. Um, I always just had a taste for, for weird things. You know, I always liked, you know, things about aliens and, and mutants and, and monsters <laughs> and, 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 and the, you know, the, the late eighties and early nineties was, was a good time for that. Uh, I, I think. Mm. Uh, so definitely that, that interest in, in weird things and things that are like marginal or obscure. Uh, and then, you know, as I grew older, that became like a taste in, uh, like when I was in high school, I discovered, uh, you know, like surrealist art, uh, and that, mm-hmm. and that made a big influence on me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. And I started reading, you know, I think Philip, Philip K. Dick, uh, you know, was, it was a big influence on me. And, and again, that oh, sense nice. that like, that there's another reality, you know, behind this reality, uh, mm-hmm. and that, you know, some of the, you know, the veil needs to be torn down so that we can see, you know, clearly like what's, what's really happening there. So he was, mm-hmm. he and, and, and William Burroughs probably too, were like really big influences on me uh, when I, when I was a teenager. Mm, okay. Awesome. awesome. And, yeah. And, and through music too, even kind of connected that listening to like throbbing gristle and, and coil, you know, a lot of that, they were you know, <laughs> tapping into esoteric themes and, and trends. Um, so those things were certainly influential on me as well. Okay. And then you kind of started digging into like Crowley's writing, Crowley's writings and Philema and stuff like that. A little bit. There was sort of a gap. And, and actually another little piece of the story is, um, uh, my mother was, was hanging out when I, like when I was a teenager, was hanging out with some uh, like neo-pagan um, mm-hmm. groups. So I actually got a little bit of taste uh, of, of paganism and, and even a little bit of ritual, which is sort of funny that I would recognize much later. I mean, they used to, you know, go to the quarters and, and, and you know, they, they talked about calling the watchtowers and all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> and then, you know, 10 years later, I was say, studying Enochian and I was like, the watchtowers, you know, I remember this. Um, oh, so funny. I think that, that, that helped plant some of those seeds too. Um, but then there was kind of a lapse, uh, you know, there was like that kind of teenage interest. Uh, and then I, I went up to college and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, got, I was studying philosophy and, and got really wrapped up in, in existentialism and, and you know, mm-hmm. postmodern, uh, so-called postmodern thought and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, well, I, I guess there's, there's two sort of parts of the story. One is that, that, mm-hmm. that sort of, that the more like philosophical intellectual path, especially, you know, as it manifests through like modern philosophy, mm-hmm. um, I think really, um, it, you know, some of those existentialist ideas uh, led to, to or, or contributed to um, a real kind of personal like sense of, of crisis where, you know, like I was talking about those seeds that were planted, uh, you know, early on about the awareness of mortality. It all, it all kind of really like came to a head uh, in my early mm. 20s. Um, and so there was a really, yeah, a, a, a true like spiritual personal crisis about you know, whether I actually wanted to keep living and, you know, all, all these sorts mm. of ideas. Um, and I think at that time that those seeds that had been planted earlier um, and some of those, yeah, the, the beginnings uh, of those, those esoteric interests sort of returned at that time uh, mm. and was a real, um, uh, you, you know, was, was a source of, of something in a, in a way to, uh, to, to be able to, to engage in, in the world in a, in a more authentic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I started, you know, exploring those and, um, you know, following out those paths and, and, and reading and, and studying and all that. Okay. Okay. Um, interesting though. What, uh, what was it specifically that led you to um, Thelema and Crowley? I don't remember how I... Browsing at a bookstore. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think it was, it was, it was, it was definitely on the internet, um, mm-hmm. you know, just browsing around on esoteric things. Mm-hmm. Um Ian, I don't remember how I, I studied, uh, how, how I stumbled on, on Crowley in particular, uh, but I think I, I would, part of what attracted me too was that he, 
he, you know, he was, he was an intellectual, uh, right? He, he was speaking like a, a philosophically sophisticated language. You know, I, I was really wary of anything that, that sort of smacked of the, the kind of new, like that very surface level, uh, you know, sort of new age type thought. Um, mm-hmm. but, but Crowley was very, you know, very obviously different than that, despite being very modern. Um, mm. and, and so I, I certainly responded to that. Um, and I, I liked him as a, I, I was really interested in, in uh, like counterculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and things like that. So I, I liked him as this this countercultural figure who, you know, even like showed up in, in weird places, you know, the cover of Beatles albums and all <laughs> like as this, this really strange kind of marginal cultural figure. So I, I think right. I was interested in him for, for those reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. And then that became more like a vehicle for actually uh, encountering, you know, his, his actual thought. And I think that the thing that really hooked me about Thelema in particular was that it, it seemed to speak to those, you know, th- those existential concerns that, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't like the offering up a new, um, like a, you know, just a new thing. Oh, here, you know, be- believe this or something like that, that it was, that it was a path to, that, that, that made all of those existential and, and sort of so-called like postmodern uh, questions and, and lines of thinking, it, it seemed to, to give them legitimacy, um, mm-hmm. but point to like a way forward or a way beyond them, rather than a retreat like back into to a kind of pre-modern, uh, you know, like religiosity or, or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So okay. I think in the end, it was it was um, almost like that that that's the ethical sense uh, of, of of do what thou wilt, and and that's the other thing too. I, I think in some ways I had always been a thelemite and had always believed, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in in the the law of do what thou wilt shall be, you know, that that that's like the the core of things, um, and that you know external ethics and things like that. Uh, aren't applicable. You know, I've been interested in like anarchist politics since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, I think it really spoke to my just basic sense of, of fundamental ethics, um, mm-hmm. where it was like a sense of recognition of encountering that and going like, oh yeah, that's that, that's what I've already believed, you know? Right, right. It seemed very empowering rather than like retreating into some sort of neurotic uh, academic philosophy or something mm-hmm. like that, like actual tools you can implement and a philosophy that empowers you and that resonates with you. It seems like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. Sure. Yeah. And that, and that puts the intellect, uh, you know, sort of in, in its place that it gives value to it, uh, you know, on its plane, but also mm-hmm. speaks to, to the, to, you know, the, the human intellect, not being like the, the be all end all of, of things. Sure. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. So um, I'm curious, like we kind of um, talked a little bit about your introduction to esotericism how has your overall, what would you say, like from way back then, obviously, until now, how has your practice evolved over time? And I'm, I'm curious, I asked this to most of my guests, like, what do you do on a regular basis? I know that obviously you teach courses and, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, you lead the academic track and whatnot, but for your own personal practice, are there, um, does it change or is there, are there like staples of your daily or regular practice? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so there's a few different facets to that. Uh, on the one hand, my, my personal practice has evolved partially just, you know, my actual like practice of, of the, the Thelemic and, and Golden Dawn tradition and, and drawing on other, you know, aspects of the Western esoteric tradition. But it's also been a really interesting, um, uh, like, center point to branch off into other things. Um, so, you know, I did like a, a few years uh, of, of more like intensive, like Buddhist study and practice, but always as, as a kind of like connection or like outgrowth of the, the fundamental core uh, Thelemic uh, practice and, and understanding. Um, 
so in some ways I've also been exploring like the different uh, like tributaries of, of the Thelema. You know, I mean, a lot of different influences flow in into Thelema, you know, both mm-hmm. from, from the, the East and the West. Um, so Thelema has also been a nice kind of like reference frame um, for exploring other traditions. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of what, what has changed and evolved in my practice over time has also been just exploring like the, the different streams that you sort of tracing back the different streams that flow into Thelema. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Not always like I didn't necessarily set out to do that consciously, but uh, looking back in hindsight, I can see that that's that that's a lot of what was happening. Um, and mm-hmm. then, you know, coming back, you know, f- sort of tracing those things back into their sources and into their own traditions and then coming back to Thelema again and seeing the way that, um, you know, the, and then seeing Thelema in a, in a new light and, and from a new perspective. So it's been a lot about, you know, kind of expanding and then and then returning to center again and, and mm-hmm. like enri- enriching with each one of those cycles. Um, so yeah, but but to speak more specifically to my my practice, um, so my my daily practice it it definitely evolves um, or, or or can you know shift around you know depending on on my my needs and and uh, interests and things like that. Um, so you know, kind of core uh, daily practices uh, include uh, like sitting meditation. Um, that's that's something I've really continued from. Um, you know, I've done more intensive like yogic practice as well, but just really basic, um, you know, sitting meditation, you know, just, just paying attention to the breath. Um, mm-hmm. That's certainly a, a really important uh, part of my, part of my practice. Mm-hmm. Um, also uh, like kind of energetic, uh, like cleansing and, and balancing type practices um, are, are really important just for, you know, just, just for hygiene uh, and for keeping everything, uh, you know, sort of functioning and, and, and in good, good order. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that whole, the, the energetic system and then, you know, the, the subtle aspects of the anatomy and all that uh, is, is, you know, to, to maintain and, and work with that and keep things, you know, energized and, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and functioning well. So are, this isn't like an Eastern concept, like the chakras or like Qigong or those sort of um, 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 systems, would you say, or we'd say more of like, uh, you know, like a more of a thalamic, um, like golden dawn, middle pillar, this sort of thing, or, yeah, or kind yeah, of a combination? Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of a combination, I guess. Uh, I mean, a lot of it is, is along the lines of the middle pillar, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like other practices that I've developed myself and, and, and yeah, other things kind of along that line. Mm-hmm. Um, I did do a few years of, of like some internal martial arts. It was a, a Kung Fu school that did both like external uh, uh, martial arts as well as like internal practices. So oh, nice. that, th- that experience of doing a, a more like, uh, you know, Chinese form of, um, uh, of energy manipulation certainly influenced the way that I, I still think about it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with like Montak Chia, um, but his, the, the, some of his like energy practices uh, have definitely mm-hmm. influenced my, my thinking uh, on, mm-hmm. in, in my actual practice of a lot of those things. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Um, okay, this is a question that uh, I'm actually curious on your perspective. Um, so why, why do you think that Thalema is important in the current day and age? Because um, I mean, and like, what are the benefits of working through perhaps a system like the AA or uh, Temple of the Silver Star uh, versus more of a freestyle approach? Because um, these days, I think that um, at least if you look at like internet forums and stuff, people are kind of like, ah, that's kind of outdated. Why would I work through a system or join an order or a, uh, you know, a lodge or um, something along those lines, right? Like, what, mm-hmm. what do you think are the benefits? Because obviously you are, you're in the order you teach and you went through um, um, some of these systems, right? So I would like to hear sort of your perspective on that. 
Sure. And, and actually that, that adds another piece to, to, to your last question as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of, some of my daily practices is, is doing, you know, like initiated practices mm -hmm. and some of the way that my, my practice has evolved over time is in like the progress through those systems. Mm -hmm. um, so um, let's see, what was the, sorry, what was the first part of your, <laughs> the first part of your question there? Mm, I, I, I said kind of more like what, why is uh, the lame important in the current day, this current oh, age, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. um yeah that's you know that, that that's a really good question um and it's something that i i think actually like struggle with at times i mean you, i'll say a bunch of things uh, about that mm -hmm. but in some ways you know it, I, I didn't come to it thinking you know oh you know look at the world you know look look at how the world is you know mm -hmm. what what we really need is is thelema you know it was something much <laughs> more like personal and, and intimate and so there are definitely times when i i do look at the world and think of you know you know everything that's happening you know politically or e ecologically or, or you know everything else and think like is this really <laughs> the best thing is this really what i'm supposed to be doing like wouldn't you know becoming some sort of activist or or, or whatever else be like more directly beneficial mm -hmm. um and so yeah and so that's something i, I think I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about is, is why, why why is this important mm -hmm. um and obviously at the core of it, you know, it, it's in my, my personal uh, sort of sense is just that it, it's answering a call. You know, I, I feel, mm -hmm. I feel, you know, called to do this and, and called to, to be, you know, one, one link in the, in the, in the chain of this tradition. Um, and in some ways, like my sense is that it's, you know, it's something bigger <laughs> and, and more intelligent uh, than, than I am. Mm -hmm. um, and that, 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 that you know, the, the tradition and, and especially as I study like the history of the Western esoteric tradition, it, it seems like the, the tradition itself has a, a kind of intelligence that is, is greater than uh, any of its, its you know, individual pieces or, or members can possibly see like from their embeddedness and their particular uh, time and place in, in the world and in history. Um, mm -hmm. but, but that being said, I, I can definitely offer like a few, uh, a few thoughts about it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think one thing that, that is so important and I've, I've seen, you know, it's been powerful in my own life and, and in a lot of other people I've, I've known and, and people I've worked with uh, through the order and, and all that um, is just giving a, like a space and a community for people who don't, you know, just for one reason or another, just don't fit in with with what is, you know, the, the mainstream culture, um, you know, mm. people who just have to see things differently and who don't, you know, share, you know, the same, but, you know, late capitalist con consumer values and, and all those sorts of things. Um, having mm. a place of, of people that support, uh, you know, esoteric interests and support, um, you know, people trying to develop their, you know, their, their own authentic way of, of, of being in the world um, and, and of understanding the world. Um, just mm -hmm. having a, a community like that can be an incredibly supportive thing. Um, mm. And I think, you know, Thelemic orders, you know, Temple of Silver Star is certainly an example, but, but others as well, of course, um, you know, offer that, that really important place, uh, you know, for, for, people, for people who need a, a community like that to be able to go and, and to find, you know, support and, and, and deep connection and all of that. Um, that's, that's a really, you know, powerful thing. Mm. Um, you know, and I think, you know, my own story about, uh, or aspects of it anyways, about, you know, like feeling like lost in a, in a, in a meaningless, you know, empty uh, sort of postmodern world. Um, I think that, there, that that's a, a thing really plaguing uh, so much of our culture and, and more and more the, the whole planet. Um, and so I think having, you know, these, these sort of beacons of, of light uh, <laughs> shining, uh, mm -hmm. of indicating to people, you know, that, 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 there, that there are places that, you know, there are, are, are 
places that, that preserve uh, you know a, a deeper uh, or a sort of a deeper wisdom, um, and that that those things can be accessed, and that there are people who have, who have walked the path the, the path in the past. Um, mm-hmm. I think all of that is so important. And I think, you know, like I, again, like I was saying about my own experience with Crowley's work, I think that it, you know, it doesn't require you to, to go back in time, right? I mean, there's no, there's no going back to the, to the, the pre-modern world. And I think mm-hmm. Thelema see, does that really clearly that it, it sees, you know, it, it includes all of that, that modern sensibility, but goes through it and beyond it rather than like retreating away from it to some sort of enchanted past, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, so I, I find, I find that really powerful about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, definitely. That's a great answer. Um, and uh, I think that a lot of people too, they are um, perhaps intimidated to join an order as well, or to um, like you, you sort of jumped in You're you also went through the AA I'd imagine, right? Yeah. So I, um, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the history of my more formal um, uh, affiliations, I, uh, after, you know, a couple of years or really maybe just like a year and a half of, of kind of studying alone and, and trying to go at it alone. I, um, I, I was involved with, with um, the Order of Templi Orientis um, for a little while. I'm not a member any longer, mm-hmm. but that was a nice uh, introduction and, and kind of first steps into a, a magical order and a magical community. Um, and then, yeah, and I actually joined AA, this is unusual for a member of the Temple of Silver Star, but I, I joined uh, AA first and was an initiate first. Um, mm-hmm. And then, I don't know how much you know about the AA curriculum, but it, it gets really advanced really quickly. Uh, mm. And so I, I felt like, oh, you know, I, I felt, got really over my head really fast um, mm. and, and wanted, you know, help and, and, and support uh, with, with that material. Um, and, you know, I, I, knew, I knew about Temple of the Silver Star. And so, I, yeah, I, I first joined it just looking for a, a more in-depth, step-by-step, uh, like fleshed out curriculum, rather than just mm-hmm. being like kind of tossed into the deep end uh, and, mm. and trying to figure out how to swim all on my own. Okay, interesting. So what, um, maybe it would be good for you to explain, like, what are the differences between the AA and the Temple of the Silver Star? And what's the general mission or praxis of the Temple of the Silver Star? Sure. Um, so yeah, so AA and Temple of the Silver Star are in- entirely separate orders. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way we phrase uh, Temple of the Silver Star's relationship to AA uh, is that the Temple of the Silver Star was founded in service to AA. Um, mm-hmm. And so Temple of the Silver Star is essentially, you could think of it as an, an outer vehicle, uh, you know, for the, 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 the inner mysteries uh, or, or the greater mysteries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, I mean, that, that, that speaks more to our, our initiatory track work. Um, uh, okay, so it sort of assists, um, it's sort of a, um, w- w- I mean, they work hand in hand, basically. Like um, Temple of the Silver Star goes over some of the basics, would you say, and then that, that you're going to experience or learn during your, um, your AA uh, track. Yeah, and I think I, I, the way the way I approached it like, again was sort of unusual, um, but it, mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense for people who are, who are interested in AA um, but want something that, yeah, that, that's just that has more guidance that really starts from the ground uh, and, and just builds up, you know, like step by step and is much more fleshed out. Um, again, the Temple of Silver Star is founded on a, like the Golden Dawn pattern or, the, or like the Cipher Manuscript pattern, um, and so is AA, but essentially what you, what Crowley did, uh, or Crowley and, and, and uh, George Cecil Jones did when they were uh, 
founding AA uh, was sort of like gut the, the first order um, of the Golden Dawn system and, and just sort of compress it all um, and give people access to very advanced materials very quickly. And so mm -hmm. I think, it, you know, that's not like a criticism of, of the AA or, or anything like that. I mean, I think it, it is, it is pure and, and, as it as it needs to be in and of itself, um, mm -hmm. but having Temple of the Silver Star as a kind of outer vehicle um, that offers more like grounded step by step training, uh, and. Uh, and in addition to the, the training too, I think it offers a lot of other really nice things that have been developed in the, you know, the Golden Dawn tradition has now been a, a living tradition for 130 or something years now. Um, and a lot of other things have been developed and a lot of, um, you know, insights from uh, uh, psychology and, and especially like depth psychology or, or archetypal psychology um, mm -hmm. have been incorporated as well. So certainly like psychological health. Uh, is a huge part of, of Temple of the Silver Star's work uh, and, and a really beautiful thing, I think, that it, that it offers. Um, you know, we do healing work. And, you know, again, if you had to, to try to think of what, what the mission of, of Temple of the Silver Star is, I think, you know, just the idea of, of being a place that, uh, or a system that guides people to the, the understanding and the discovery and the, the realization of, of their own wills. Um, that, that, I think, is, is maybe a good... Uh, a good way of talking about the the mission of the order. Okay, cool. It also kind of sounds like um, it's sort of like, you know, with the golden dawn, you have the inner order and the outer order and mm -hmm. uh, sort of very separate, right? And uh, you have to sort of go through the outer order first and then um, move mm -hmm. on. But but Crowley, Crowley kind of threw in the inner order stuff into the outer order, right? And sort of, mm -hmm. uh, but this is sort of an attempt more or less to sort of uh, not necessarily separate them, but to sort of make it, uh, what would you say, like digestible or sort of, you know, sort of um, organizing mm -hmm. in a way that um, not necessarily sort of like how the Golden Dawn had it, but a little bit more, not as slow, perhaps, and a little bit more um, like gradual and structured, would you say? Yeah, yeah. And again, just just step by step building from the ground up. And I think if you one thing that's really been developed in the last 130 years, like since the AA was founded was the, the development of the, the outer order, you know, in Curly's day, I Curly went through the outer order of the Golden Dawn and in, in like not not even two years, I think um, he went through really rapidly. And really, all you had to do at that time to advance was you just like memorized the knowledge lectures and then like took a written test. And then you got to advance to the next grade. Um, but but in that 130 years, the, the outer order curriculum has, has really been like fleshed out and developed. So mm -hmm. the things that Crowley was, was casting aside are, are not, you know, the, the outer order that, that Crowley was maybe uninterested in is really all so, um, so skeletal and, and, and undeveloped compared to, to what we have now. Um, mm -hmm. So, so that's really uh, developed as well. So you can almost see like the, the kind of outer order development and the AA development as being like parallel lines um, that have it with, Temple of the Silver Star have kind of come back together again uh, in, in a certain way. Again, um, the mm -hmm. orders remain distinct, um, but there's certainly mutual, uh, you know, uh, relation or influence, whatever. Mm -hmm. Would you say most people that are in the uh, Temple of the Silver Star are members of the A, or they eventually um, join, or are there people that just sort of stay in that order, would you say? Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to speak to... Uh, uh, you know, to, 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 you know, numbers and, and things like that. Um, I mean, there's certainly, <laughs> give me, uh, give, give me the damn data. No, right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need the spreadsheets. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, or, or even to make, make generalizations. Um, right. 
you know, I, I think Temple of the Solar Star is, is a perfectly serviceable, uh, you know, path in and of itself. And, you know, and actually, in, if you include like the, the inner order uh, of Temple of the Silver Star, it actually leads mm-hmm. to, you know, the, the, what, what we in technical terms is called the, the knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel, which marks, mm-hmm. you know, like adepthood uh, in, in the AA sense. So the Temple of the Silver Star is, is a, a full and, and complete path, uh, you know, all by itself. Um, it's not, it's not, it, it's much more than just preparatory training for AA. Though for people who are interested in AA, it can serve as a preparatory training in a very nice way, as can the, the academic track as well. Um, the, like the course one of our, of our academic track is a great way uh, of, of you know, go, going through the, like the student curriculum uh, of AA and building up the, the basic knowledge that you'll need uh, to begin the, like the work of the probationary period. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, I'm watching your um, Astrological Magic series. It's really uh, well done and it does, um, I mean, it's sort of a refresher in some ways for me. I, I am learning from it too, but what I really like is it does clear up a lot of like common misconceptions, I would say, right? Like say you're just sort of researching the stuff on your own or reading some books. There's pretty, there's always these sort of, um, I mean, it's very easy to misinterpret things or misunderstand things, right? But uh, mm-hmm. what I really like is the um, the YouTube lectures are very, um, very well organized. You have a PowerPoint and you kind of, um, I, I don't know if that was even the intention, but you do clear up a lot of common misconceptions. Maybe, maybe you knew you already kind of know these common misconceptions. And <laughs> so you sort of, uh, structure the lectures in that way, but they're very, it's very well done. And, um, I'm, I'm wondering like, uh, are most of the, um, the academic track courses, are they going to be available on YouTube or, or is that the uh, plan going forward? Or is it, or do you have to sort of join the, um, like the formal, um, online track, I guess it would be called. Oh sure. Well, and thanks. Thanks very much for your comments. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's great to hear. Um, so the, uh, yeah, we, we should make a distinction between uh, like the the class series um, that that I've been offering publicly, and then the actual like courses. Um, the the academic track itself is composed of four courses. Um, those courses are not offered publicly. Those courses are are only for actual like members of the academic track, um, and those courses are taught as uh, just a, a one-on-one uh, instruction. Every, um, everyone who, who, who comes into the academic track uh, is, is paired up with, a, with an instructor um, who supervises their work. And so that's like really like one-on-one uh, hands-on training. Uh, I mean, a lot of it is, is fairly independent. You know, you're given materials to, to study and, and in assignments to work on, um, but you really work directly with an instructor. Uh, the, the public classes we offer are um, in a way like a, a supplement to the, uh, the um, to, to the, 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 the more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the like official uh, curriculum. Mm, so the, okay. the, the, actual, the actual coursework itself will, will, will never be made public. Um, these are just like series of, of public classes that, that I've been offering. I mean, certainly, mm-hmm. you know, there's, a, there's, there's quite a bit of relevance to the things I teach and to the <laughs> things uh, that we do in the academic track. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, about that, that's, that's no coincidence. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but they are, are they are separate things. So you know, if people are, are interested in this and, and really want to go into depth, uh, you know, just watching the things that are publicly available and on YouTube, um, that that's only a, a taste of, of of what we do. Mm-hmm. And so, um, if somebody was interested, um, we're talking about the Temple of the Silver Star and the academic track. Mm-hmm. Um, is this so? There, there's a physical location too, or is this all online? That's another thing that I'm kind of um, uh, curious about. 
Well, we, we have some uh, physical locations. Uh, we're basically you know, groups of academic track students um, along with like an academic track, at least one academic track instructor you know, who, who live close to each other um, are encouraged you know, to, to meet in person uh, you know, like monthly or on a regular basis. Obviously the, the, the plague uh, in, in the last year or so has, has changed <laughs> that situation, which is actually right. the reason that, that I've been doing more online teaching uh, for the few years before this, uh, I had just been teaching a, a local class here in Sacramento. We had a space that we rented, uh, you know, and, and once a month, uh, you know, people, local people would, would show up and, and we would talk about different topics. Uh, and then after we couldn't meet in person anymore, uh, mm -hmm. I started doing, I had started offering a few things online, um, but I just started doing everything online. Um, and, you know, I've gotten a good response from that. And, and you know, it, it's nice to have a, a, a more, a smaller, like intimate uh, in-person in audience. Um, mm. But, you know, obviously the, the online audience has, has been bigger. Um, and it's been nice that, you know, that being able to have the, the, the PowerPoint slides and everything like that, I, I, I've enjoyed working in that format. Um, mm. So it's been, you know, one kind of silver lining in a, in a, in a difficult year. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember actually, I think it was two years ago, I actually applied to uh, join the academic track because I live in Korea, obviously, I can't uh -huh. um, join anything um, in person, right? And so I think <laughs> it was probably two years ago, but uh, I think it said like, I got an email back that it would said, uh, um, uh, we're, we're, we're full, basically, like registration is full, try again, mm -hmm. you know, next year. So it seems like it's pretty, you know, pretty popular. Uh, um, would you say it's like generally full or should people, if somebody's interested to hear this podcast, um, uh, you know, how would they go about applying or what, what would you recommend them if they're interested in joining? Sure. I mean, no, you can definitely submit an application. Uh, the, the way that things end up happening, because there, there is, which, you know, on the one hand is, is so exciting and, and is really great that, that, that people are interested in this material and, and you know, and, and we want to be part of, of what we're doing. Um, but of course, you know, we have only a, a limited, a finite number of instructors and, and mm. unlimited capacity to take on students. So there often is a kind of fluctuating back and forth where uh, we'll be closed for new applications for, you know, three months or five months or something like that. And then we'll open back up and take new students as we have capacity. And then once we start to fill up for capacity, um, you know, then, then we'll have to, to, to put another pause again. Um, so if people are applying, they shouldn't be surprised uh, to, to receive that, uh, the, the response, <laughs> the, the response that you received. Right. Um, you know, just again, because, and, and especially in the last year, I think people, people interest has been very high. You know, the, the academic track works very well um, at a distance. Mm -hmm. Um in the initiatory track, um, you, you can be, you can live anywhere in the world and, and still be an initiatory track member. I mean, you have to travel, um, you know, the, it, we, we don't do astral initiations or anything like that. Initiations are only done in person uh, as, mm -hmm. as it should be. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but you, know, you, you, you can just travel for that. Um, people who live close to a temple would do monthly uh, group work. Mm -hmm. which is which is really really powerful um that that's actually i, I think I, I meant to mention that a, a little earlier um mm -hmm. the ability to do group ritual work has has been really surprising actually um mm -hmm. in a way how powerful it is and a lot of my like very early very like potent magical experiences um have been in like group ritual settings i think that we, we have some sophisticated ways that like we talk about this, uh, but there's a, a, a very real phenomenon that people working, you know, if you have a, a group of people who have like a coordinated, uh, you know, they've all been through training uh, and have a coordinated uh, like symbol set uh, that they all like mutually understand, um, really powerful things can, can happen and, and it can be much more powerful than any, than any like individual magician can produce on their own. Mm. Uh, 
but you know, for people who who either you know don't want, aren't interested in that that group setting or, or aren't able to travel or aren't able to you know to attend monthly or anything like that, um, the academic track uh, works works great at a distance. You know, instruction can be done you know through uh, you know through through Zoom and, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, well, so people... especially especially now with the coronavirus, I mean, this mm-hmm. is there's probably no better time to <laughs> join the academic track, right? <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, and 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 there has been a really big demand. Uh, you know, we've, uh-huh. we've definitely seen an increase in our, in our number of applications uh, over the last year. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, if, if people are interested um, and and you do apply, you know, again, like don't don't be terribly surprised if, if you do get that response um but you know just you, we'll, we'll give you a date when you can reapply um and and just 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 you know if you're serious about it uh you know waiting you know six months or something like that uh, uh you know shouldn't shouldn't be a problem yeah definitely and plus uh now that because uh, I, I applied a couple years ago but back then you guys didn't really have a um, public youtube channel so mm-hmm. i suppose even if you you know even if you get an email saying wait six months i mean there's plenty of uh, material now that you guys have up on YouTube that could easily fill up, you know, your six month waiting period. There's, you know, there's so many courses now that you have available um, on your YouTube channel. So to study, yeah. and, uh, you know, different, um, you know, could, could lead you down different threads and practices and books to read and whatnot. Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, I think part of our mission, of course, while we're mainly focused on, on our members and, and the work of our members, uh, you know, a certain amount of public outreach is, is certainly part of our mission and as like a, as a service to, you know, to, to the, to the, the wider world uh, and, and to the esoterically uh, interested uh, people out there. Um, you know, so, so that's great. I, I, I've been very happy to be, to be part of that, that kind of outreach process of, of just making uh, materials and, and I, w- w- you know, what I think are, are high quality instruction uh, available for, for people who are interested in it. Yeah, I shared um, one of your, I think it was the first video of the Astrological Magic series. I shared it in a, um, in like a Discord. I'm in some like, you know, occult Facebook mm-hmm. groups and Discord servers or whatever, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, I shared uh, that first video and uh, I was actually quite surprised, like two or three people posted like, wow, that makes sense. Like I never really understood the uh, like the lesser banishing ritual of the hexagram until like because in your video you show um, not only do you perform it in the video, mm-hmm. but also you have sort of a slide explaining it. Right. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, not just for people who are in your order per se, but it's uh, very educational or informative or clear up misunderstandings for a lot of people that are um, sort of doing these practices or. Uh, diving into the stuff on their own via books mm-hmm. or um, what have you, right? So. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, and that's something that I think is a really important, like powerful part of actually being part of like a, a living continuous tradition uh, is that there's always like oral instruction um, and, and things continue to evolve, you know, like a lot of those like common misunderstandings and things like that. There, there are either mistakes that I've made, uh, you know, or mistakes that like someone that I've learned from have made, you know, uh, we, we, these things actually get like worked out in practice that people are like, hey, you know, th- this part of this ritual doesn't seem to work so well. And then you go back and, and rethink and try to understand, uh, you mm-hmm. know, like what it is that's going wrong. So, you know, uh, you know, I, I can only, I can only claim credit for a certain amount of that. I, I'm the inheritor of, uh, you know, one of the inheritors of, of uh, a great wealth of, of just generation after generation of people actually really working this system uh, mm-hmm. and, and put and putting it into practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, you kind of mentioned how you, um, earlier in the story, you mentioned how you sort of, um, like you kind of branched off into different streams of flame, mm-hmm. kind of like a, um, like Buddhism and Buddhist practice, and um, I'm sure a variety of other areas. But currently, is there any 
uh, new areas, not necessarily new, but maybe, um, you know, maybe new to you or uh, uh, areas that you're exploring right now in your magical practice or even sort of, um, you know, academic interest or whatnot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually. So uh, actually, some of what you're seeing in the, in the Astrological Magic course series um, has been the, the fruits of uh, a couple of years now of more intensive study of, of astrology and especially uh, traditional astrology. Um, and uh, well, yeah, I'll address that first and then talk about the sort of magical connections there too. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never, you know, I, obviously the, the astrological language uh, is, is a huge part of what we do and, and you know, like astrological, you know, rituals and things like that geared around uh, astrological symbolism uh, mm-hmm. and all of that. But I, I never really put uh, a lot of, um, I never found a whole lot of value in, in like actual horoscopic astrology of, of, you know, like casting a horoscope for a particular, you know, for the, the moment of your birth or, or, or something like that. Uh, and that was kind of, you know, kind of was, uh, like pop culture astrology, you mean? Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Uh-huh. Well, pop culture astrology, but, but even I, I think some of the uh, like modern uh, astrology or like the, the mainstream uh, of modern astrology just never really, uh, never really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in a few years ago, I encountered uh, like, traditional um astrology um there's been a great i'm not sure how aware you are of it you are but in the last like 30 years or so there's been a really incredible revival of, of traditional astrological magic um you know like a revival or astrological uh, practice i mean uh from like hellenistic uh, astrology um and, and so I, i've been really going into to some depth with uh, yeah, Hellenistic astrology and, and also starting to look into to medieval astrology as well. And then from there, you know, me- medieval astrology touches so closely on a lot of what the medieval magic and, and Renaissance magic as well, you know, things like, like the, the, the Picatrix uh, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa and a lot of these, these like core uh, figures in the tradition, um, you know, their practice of, of astrology was so intertwined with their, their magical practice. Um, so that, that's been a place that I've been, uh, definitely putting a lot of attention in, in the last couple of years is in really building up just the, the core fundamentals of, of traditional astrology, uh, and then looking towards, uh, you know, kind of like Picatrix style, uh, like talismanic magic and all of that. Um, yeah. Where, where would you recommend, um, I would say astrology is probably my weakest, uh, area, mm-hmm. you know, I would say, but, uh, where would you recommend people who, um, maybe people like me who are like weak, somewhat weak in astrology, what, what, uh, maybe like books or areas of study or, you know, where, where would you guide them? Sure. I mean, it, it depends on what you're interested in. I, I, mm. I don't mean to, to, to denigrate like modern astrology. It, it just never really, I mean, I think there's a lot of value in the, the like the psychological ap- approach that, that modern astrology takes of, of looking at astrology, not just as a way of talking about like what sort of outer events w- will occur and how successful you'll be in, in various aspects of life. Um, but it's something that can actually talk about like an inner process and, and speak to the actual like experience of, of you know, identity and, and being in the world and all that sort of stuff. I, I think that modern astrology does bring in um, some, some good aspects there. So a lot of it, again, just, uh, you know, depends on on what aspects you're interested in. Um, for people interested in, in traditional astrology, um, the, the work of Chris Brannon uh, is, I, I think, uh, some of the, the best work uh, uh, out there. Um, he has a, a podcast actually called the, the Astrology Podcast. Uh, mm, I, I, I hear good I, things about that, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I started listening to that when, when I first got introduced to, to traditional astrology. Um, his work was, was one of the he was one of the first like authors and, and voices um, that, that I picked up on. Um, so I, I really gravitated to, to his work. Um, and, you know, he, he, the podcast is really great. Uh, you can you can sort of jump in at any point. Um, uh, but he, he's got, you know, a lot of really, really great and important uh, uh, figures and everything there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's been a, been a really excellent starting point. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, kind of funny. My, uh, a friend of mine who's really into astrology really, you know, he really recommends that, uh, podcast as sort mm-hmm. of a starting point. So, okay, cool. Um, for some, for people who are interested in exploring Thelema and magic and, you know, the Western esoteric tradition in general, what, uh, what advice would you give them? Like somebody who's sort of new and starting out, what, mm-hmm. you know, what sort of pitfalls would you warn them against? Maybe if like you could go back in time, you know, Maybe not necessarily, you know, if you, I guess if you could do things different, but maybe you wouldn't because you wouldn't be where you're at now. But, you know, if you if there's uh, mm-hmm. for, for perhaps new people like what um, pitfalls would you sort of advise and what kind of advice would you give them? Sure. Yeah. Um, so just just for general advice, uh, you know, I, I, th- I think it's really worth spending some time like considering why it is that that you're interested in this and and, mm. and and what it is that 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 draws you to this um you know i mean this is a a, a really huge vast uh complex and, and and very powerful thing i mean there's no need for people to be fearful or anything like that um but i, I think you know th- these truly are you know sacred mysteries um that demand uh you know not that there can't be playfulness and, and lightness and humor <laughs> and, and all of those sorts of things in it mm-hmm. um but they do demand uh, i think a, a, a certain um sense of, uh, uh, you know, of serious seriousness and, and a certain like sacred uh, attitude mm. towards those things. Um, and so so I respect, think to, kind of respect mm-hmm. and reverence and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, not, not necessarily like deference to, to orthodoxy or, or, or anything <laughs> like, or anything like that. Um, but I think, yeah, just spending some time thinking about like what it is that, that draws you to this. And, and again, not that you need to come out with some like very clear sort of simple answer. And in fact, that, that sense that something draws you to it, but you can't quite articulate what it is, that can actually be a, a very powerful, uh, you know, a, a very powerful sign. Um, but just, just, you know, spending some time uh, uh, thinking about their, um, you know, th- their aspiration, you know, what it is that they aspire to, what it is that, that, that they're, they're looking for, or what they would, um, you know, what they're, what they're trying to, uh, what, what they're trying to find. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think just, just meditating on that and, and remaining centered in that, that basic impulse to seek out, uh, you know, a, a, a greater cosmos or, or a, a greater understanding of themselves and the understanding of the, the self as something uh, so much, much deeper and, and vaster than, uh, uh, you know, what, what, what they've ever, you know, thought of it as before. Um, I think just, mm-hmm. just sort of sitting with those topics can be really helpful. Mm. Um, and then I guess you will sort of keep tapping into what you're saying or, or a little bit what you're saying about, about pitfalls. Uh-huh. Um, I think that because Thelema takes this, you know, one of Crowley's like big slogans, of course, right, is the, the method of science. Um, and, and this idea of, of a scientific and skeptical approach. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that's really beautiful and, and wonderful and important. But I think that a pitfall of it is that if this, your the skepticism, if it's not like a true skepticism, can end up just like reinforcing uh, uh, an unconscious, like materialistic worldview, where you, mm-hmm. you know, you assume that, you know, every that, that kind of that presentation of, of, of 
of materialism is basically true, and then you're skeptical about anything else. Um, <laughs> if, if you're if you're going to follow that that skeptical path, um, I think it's really important to to really do the work of uncovering the things that you unconsciously believe. Um, mm. You know, if you don't actually spend the time to examine, you know, like metaphysical questions and, and things like that, I think you'll really just end up defaulting back to what your culture uh, basically considers to be true, uh, you know, which, which for us sure. is essentially materialism. Um, so I, I think that that can be a, a, a pitfall uh, for sure. Um, oh, and definitely. so I think if, if you really are going to enter this path, I think you really need to be willing to, uh, to, to have, you know, all of your beliefs, you know, even, even at the most fundamental level and your fundamental assumptions about, about what is real and what you are and what, what humans are and what consciousness is and what intelligence is and what the soul is. Um, I think you, you really need to be willing to have all of those ideas, uh, uh, you know, changed and, and to have the, the rug pulled out from your feet at, at, at certain mm-hmm. points. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a total path and, and will impact, you know, every part of the being, uh, you know, even, even parts of your being that you may not have even known existed. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. Uh, definitely great, uh, advice I would say. And, um, yeah, very interesting. kind of reminds me like, uh, you know, you get like the whole, like, uh, I, I'm sure, I'm sure there are people who join, uh, Temple of the Silver Star that are like extremely atheistic, you know, materialists, and then other people who are sort of like, um, I, I don't know if there's many of these sort of people, but like extreme monotheists or whatnot, right? And it's sort of like, like these sort of paradigms that you hear, um, you know, nonstop in society, like the sort of dualistic thinking and sort of getting mm-hmm. stuck in one reality tunnel, I guess you would say, like, mm-hmm. you know, the further you die, then it's like, it just sort of gets, like you said, uh, what, what, what's the expression you use? The rug gets pulled out underneath you, you know, it's like, it's <laughs> right. sort of like, and then, it, you know, you, is there a refine and restructure and then it gets pulled out again, you know, so that's, <laughs> yeah, a, that's yeah. a very, that's a very good way of uh, explaining it. I like that. Well, you know, mm-hmm. And one of the things I think is so interesting about Thelema is that Thelema, I, I, I take it more as a, as a process than like a particular or, or as a, yeah, like a, as a process and as a path than mm-hmm. like a particular system. I mean, you use that word, you know, reality tunnel. Um, and I think that Thelema is in, in many ways isn't just like one reality tunnel among others. You know, it's not just like, oh, here, here's this one reality tunnel, you know, if you like this one that you can go down, but it's almost like a meta reality tunnel. It's a reality tunnel that's aware of the fact that it is a reality tunnel. Uh, um, <laughs> that's a good way of explaining it. Or, you know, the Thelema isn't, I think also of, of Thelema as, you know, in thinking about like the, the traditions and, and you know, different, you know, religious and, and spiritual traditions and stuff like that. Thelema seems very, and, and the Thelemic holy books seem very like self-aware of the fact that they are just one tradition. I mean, it, it's, it's strange for a tradition to include the idea that it is just one tradition among others, um, mm-hmm. or to include the idea that it's, you know, like, I mean, the that its teachings and its sort of message and, and revelation and all of that um, is only temporary and only relevant, you know, for, for one stage of, of like the, the ongoing like transformation of, of, of human consciousness. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, I think that speaks again to that idea of having the rug kind of pulled out from under your feet that in that kind of self-referential um, aspect to Thelema, it doesn't give you like a place. And, and this is the, the, I think the power of it in a lot of ways is that it doesn't give you that, that ground uh, to be able to stand on that you're really, it really, if you fully engage in that process, um, it will truly, uh, you know, open up uh, other, other worlds. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, what would you say are like common um, misconceptions of Salima? Like since you are, um, you know, pretty deep in it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that you get, you know, when you um, when you talk to people or when people come to you or email you or whatever, what would you say are like the most common misconceptions you probably have to deal with and explain, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I knew you were going to ask that question. I, I was making a couple of notes and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, wow, this could be a whole podcast all in itself. <laughs> oh, Matthew, sure. Matthew, Matthew, Matthew rants about thalamic misconceptions for two hours, you know? Yeah, that could be a whole podcast. And every, every, <laughs> yeah, time, every time you get an email, you just send them a link to that podcast. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah refer, refer to minute 35 of... Uh... <laughs> you, right. you have it all t- time stamped out. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, sure. So I'll just highlight a couple um, that, that that come to mind. Um, okay. The first one is, uh, you know, I think that, again, I, along the lines of, of what I was just saying about the way that Thelema is not uh, like a religious or spiritual tradition in quite the same way um, that we normally think of religious and spiritual traditions being, um, you know, the, following the Thelemic path isn't about like deciding that you are a Thelemite and identifying that. I you know, the, the, describing me as a Thelemite is, is not inaccurate, but I don't particularly like identify as a Thelemite or, or think of, of myself that way. I, you know, I'm, I'm a follower. I, I follow the Thelemic path. I, I engage in like the, the living, growing, you know, ongoing, flowing Thelemic uh, tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not necessarily about like, oh, I, I'm this thing. I identify as this thing. Um, and so, you know, while, you know, the, the, the book of the law, and the, the sort of core concepts of, of Thelema are all, you know, like for people interested in Temple of the Silver Star, certainly we want, or, or, or you know, people won't get much out of their system if they don't have a basic sense of, of, of harmony with those fundamental principles. Um, but it's not about, you have to like identify as a Thelemite or decide that a Thelemite is what you are in order to, to engage in, or, you know, to, to even become like an initiate of the temple um, or, or to engage in the practice. Um, so just sort of warning people against, um, feeling like they need to decide whether or not they, they, they are a Thelemite or not, um, mm. I think is, is one sort of thing that you just really can just not worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Um, I, another common misconception about Thelema, I think, is the, 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 the unicursal hexagram, um, you know, the, the hexagram that's drawn like in a single line. Mm-hmm. Um, for, I mean, I, I think there's a few uh, reasons why, why this has happened, um, but it, it's become kind of like used as like the, the Thelema symbol um, which it, <laughs> right. it, it really isn't. And, and that's something that, I, I don't know, I, I guess it's just like a pet, a pet peeve of mine or something like that when it does get, <laughs> when it does get used that way. Um, I don't think Crowley ever intended it. I, I don't know of any other like major important Thelemic authors who ever intended it to be that way. Um, so again, I think, I think Crowley liked the symbol, uh, but uh, it, it was you, never <laughs> like the symbol. Yeah. What? Are, you, are you telling me you don't have a universal hexagram tattoo? On your... <laughs> I, I do not. I have, I, I have multiple esoteric tattoos and none of them are universal hexagrams. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm just playing around. Yeah. But anyways, okay. Um, as far as that symbol goes, you'd say like, well, I mean, there is a reason why it's popular, right? Like, mm-hmm. because, you know, it's, it's in a lot of the literature and using that in uh, the hexagram rituals and whatnot. But um, mm-hmm. what, what, what would you say is the big misunderstanding about it? Like, it's not, it's not like the, the cross to Christianity or something like that. that right. And I think that's what uh-huh. people want. I, I think, uh-huh. and actually it, it's, it, 
I, the Christianity's use of the cross, I think, gave the idea that that every you know every religious tradition is supposed to have like its symbol. When when really that's 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 not true. I mean, I think probably the the majority of religious traditions don't necessarily have like a symbol in the same way that that Christianity has the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think again, I, maybe it, it speaks to again that some of some of what that that idea of like oh I'm a Thelemite, you know, this is the symbol of my religion. It, it too quickly like packages it up into a, a kind of consumer like sort of identity <laughs> or something like that. Where you're like, I'm a Thelemite and now I have to get I have to get the, the Thelemite brand like put on me so that everyone can be clear about like you know which which you know whatever which religious tradition I've I've decided to purchase or something like that. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Well, I guess in any tradition though, right? Like there's people who are interested in actually doing the work and you mm-hmm. know experiencing the interchanges and whatnot and then there's people who want the image of you know i guess that'd be called like a poser right like when i used to skateboard it's like it's like I, you know right, what I mean? right. yeah it's like because i used to skateboard and like you know even in sacramento the skateboard hit the uh, rails and stairs and mm-hmm. like the people who you know like i didn't even really wear like all the skateboard brand you know a brand here mm-hmm. and there but uh right. skate shoes but then there's the people who like had all the you know the skate hat the skate gear but they didn't even skateboard right so it's mm-hmm. kind of like right. It's like, dude, are you even, do you even skate, bro? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it becomes sort of a, uh, I don't know. Yeah, you, you know what I mean for that. Yeah, uh, and I think that's a, that's a good way of putting it. I, I, I resist the idea that Thelema is a, is a brand, you know, that, that that's, what, <laughs> that's that's what it is, you know, or, or that it could be so simple that you just need to, to you know, purchase the right clothing or, or get the right tattoo or something like that. Right, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm sure I'm sure people often ask you like crazy questions about Crowley too, right? Like uh, like common misconceptions. There's there's probably too many to even really name, but um, oh sure about Crowley, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There, there's there, there's there's yeah. way too many to name. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think that's that. I think that's getting better. I think there are enough. Re- I mean, obviously, there, there's there's crazy stuff all over the internet, but I think that there are enough good resources now that I, I really don't encounter that many people who are you know going like, oh you know wasn't he some sort of you know satanist who sacrificed children and stuff like that. I mm-hmm. I, I fortunately don't actually have to <laughs> encounter that sort of thing all that often, uh, which I am I'm grateful for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I suppose in retrospect, like just as the times change, I mean, you look at, um, I suppose maybe even 20, 30 years ago, look at like gay marriage and Mm -hmm. the legalization of drugs. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, at his time, he seemed like some sort of extremist or something, right? In Victorian England, but like compared to modern standards, kind of a normal or tame, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's not, not, not anything that's really shocking, but through the lens of maybe 40, 50, 60 years ago, you know? Right. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, the, the fact that he was, he was bisexual, of course, was, was once a, you know, a, a cause for great scandal and, and all that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, okay. Are there any, uh, are you, I mean, cu- currently you have the uh, astro- astrological magic course, but um, do you have any plans for like upcoming uh, stuff that you're working on or any, I mean, currently people can check that out. It's not even finished. Mm-hmm. It's like halfway through, I think. Right. Yeah, um, we, we've done three out of seven classes, so almost halfway. Yeah. Okay, okay. So um, are there any, um, is there anything that you want to sort of mention, like any uh, sites people can check out or courses or upcoming plans or anything along those lines? Sure. I mean, you know, the, the main site to check out for uh, for more information, you know, about about the work of, of Temple of the Silver Star uh, is, is just our website. It's totss.org. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, and you can go to, we have, we have an FAQ there, um, you know, that, that's a really great place to start. Uh, we also have a, a Facebook page, you know, if you just look up Temple of the Silver Star on, on Facebook, um, you know, you can follow the page and get, get updates about things happening. Um, and of course, you know, you've mentioned the YouTube channel. 
Um, so that, that's easy enough to, to just look up on, on, on YouTube as well. Um, as, as far as upcoming things, um, yeah, I, I'm definitely going to continue teaching, uh, uh, you know, online. Sometimes I'll you know, just sort of one, one off uh, standalone classes, uh, as well as further series going on. Um, I have a couple ideas for what my next series will be, um, but I haven't quite crystallize them yet. Um, so I'll hold off on, on making announcements about that. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely be offering uh, like publicly available online teaching um, at, at least once a month. And there's been other instructors as well. Uh, you know, my friends, uh, uh, Rex and Ruth, uh, both uh, co-taught uh, a series of discussions on uh, on Magic Without Tears um, that they went on for, it just, just finished up a few weeks ago. Um, so there's, there's other instructors doing online teaching uh, and, and all that as well. So we've, yeah, we've got a lot of stuff coming for the public. Um, as, as well as, of course, you know, a lot of, of private uh, teaching and, and events and things like that happening as well. Okay. I, I'm, um, I'm definitely include, uh, I will include all the uh, links to what you mentioned in the show notes. And uh, <laughs> just kind of a side question. I'm very curious because uh, you do organize things very well. Have you ever considered or are you, are you writing a book or have you ever considered <laughs> writing a book? Because it seems like you're sort of, you're sort of made out for that, the way that you organize and explain things, you know? Oh well, well, thank you, and and yes, I I, I am writing a book. <laughs> oh, hey, my uh, intuition, my spidey senses were correct. Huh? Yeah, very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, interesting. Do do is that something you don't want to talk about, or is there is there any? Um, yeah, it's uh, still too it's it's too much in the the formation process. I think you know okay. one one thing that that magic has actually really attuned me to is the power mm -hmm. of like speaking things in, in, into reality. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's not yet the, the, mo the proper moment uh, to, to be more specific about that, but I, mm -hmm. I am certainly working on writing. And, you know, honestly, the, the classes themselves have actually been really nice for me as a way of like organizing my own thinking about this stuff. Like this is mm -hmm. a much more like structured step-by-step -step approach than I've, I've actually ever taken, um, mm -hmm. you know, like, like sitting down and going like, okay, how do I explain this to someone? And then like rewinding and taking it all apart and sort of putting it together in a step-by-step -step way, um, you know, that, that's actually been a really helpful process for me and, and helpful mm -hmm. to, to articulate and, and clarify like my, my own thinking about stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you, you can have a skill or you can have learned something, but teaching, mm -hmm. when, you, when you actually have to teach something and structure it out, it really makes you see things from a different angle and gives you even often even deeper insights into what you thought you understood, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for sure. So, yeah, definitely. Okay, well, uh, maybe later on when you uh, have more details and uh, about the book or whenever it comes out, I'll definitely have to post about it and you can, uh, can let me know about that later for sure. Yeah, yeah, will do. But don't want to jinx it, <laughs> <laughs> as they say, right? Okay, right. cool. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, like I said, I'll include all the uh, links in the show notes. And until next time. All right. Yeah, thanks a lot. I, I really appreciate being here. I had a good time talking with you. Thanks.